Amen. I told Brian I needed a bigger pulpit, so this is what he did for me. I'm totally kidding. <laughs> He'd be like, wow, you're literally into yourself. Um, man, I'm excited to preach this morning to close out this series on Boxed In. Um, I think a lot of us are boxed in, or I'd like to call we're labeled. Um, I was labeled kind of as a weird kid. Um, I mean, you know, I was homeschooled most of my life, so you know all those jokes, which are great. And then I did go to school for like three years, so it was like second, third, and fourth grade, and then half of a year in eighth. So everything else was homeschooled. Well, in second grade, you know, because I'd been homeschooled and traveling on the road, my parents were ministers, we had career day, so I showed up as an evangelist with a four-tape series. So, and I preached every one of them. Like, literally, I filled them with preaching. So, um, it took a while. Um, So, you're naturally labeled weird. Fourth grade, um, I had Miss Davis, one of my favorite teachers of all all time. And now, one of my closest friends in the whole world is a teacher named Miss Davis. So, it's kind of cool. But she was totally instrumental in just believing in me. And I'll never forget, she used to offer for us to do, like, five-minute, like, share the Bible, you know, uh, in the morning. Well, I took four hours. Um, I laid hands on everybody in the class. Kids were being slain in the spirit. If you know what that is, it's totally fine. Don't get weirded out. We're not doing it today, so just move on. Um, we'll get you there. I know we have some Christianese terms that are like slain and what? <laughs> so I get it. I get it. So, th- yeah, we're working on it, okay? And uh, But kids' lives were changed, and, and the kids were weeping on the floor. And so on one end, you can be categorized and labeled as adults thought that was really cool. Wow, you have this powerhouse of a daughter. Well, but my, my friends thought I was weird. Like, instead of calling me Alicia, they started calling me Elijah. Okay, so that was going around the whole school, which you could think that's cool. It's not when you're in fourth grade. So I was kind of labeled weird by one particular set, and another set just thought, wow, what a gift, what a calling. You know, that's how they would be about it. Which, which part do you think actually affected me more were my peers? The people that you're closest to, not the people that kind of, you run into, you meet them, you know, and, and their acquaintances. No, the people that are closest to you actually are the ones that can box you in the most. And I want to read a story today, and uh, let me preface this story. Um, I'm going to talk about David and his life. Not, not, we're not going to talk about the Goliath part. That's the cool part, but that's not what I'm doing today. I want to I talk about the very beginning, so let me just give you a quick synopsis of where we're at. Saul was king at this time. He was not a good king. So Samuel, the prophet, God told him, you're going to Jesse's house, which is David's dad, and you're going to anoint a new king tonight. So that's where we're picking up, all right? So I want you to turn to 1 Samuel 16, 6 through 13. Or you can just look on the screen, whatever's easier for you. When they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. There's so much there that I don't even get to hit on today, but just let it marinate later on tonight. Then Jesse told his son Abinadab to step forward and walk in front of Samuel. I just think it's funny. It's like, okay, now you go and see if he anoints you. Um, He didn't. Another son didn't. Another son didn't. I just don't want to jack their name, so I'm just going to, you know, just go on. So then Samuel asked, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse replied, but he's out in the fields watching the sheep and goats. We might as well send for him. Samuel said, we will not sit down to eat until he arrives. I want you to underline that. We're going to go back to that later. Jesse sent for him. Now, this is funny. Samuel actually wrote the book of Samuel. 
So we saw where the Lord, you know, he says, the Lord doesn't see things the way we see him. And people judge by the outward, da da da, da. And, But Samuel felt the need to put this in for David. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. <laughs> like, I'm going to throw him something. This poor guy's already going through a lot. Like, I'm just, you know, he's dark and handsome. You know, he looked like you, babe. And the Lord said, I mean, come on, yeah. Oh, I'm head over heels in love. Don't even worry about it. So this is the one, anoint him. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with oil. It's amazing to me in this story that David wasn't invited to dinner. I've always looked at this story and thought, okay, so Samuel came over, Jesse said, here's my son's. Is it one of these just thinking, oh, I'm sure it's one of the older ones. No, they were going to have a meal because he said, we're not going to sit down and eat until. So he is so disregarded by his family, he's not even invited to dinner. There's no, let's break bread together, let's be here together. And kind of what I want to start with so that you can understand what's happening because we see that David was the chosen one is you can be anointed and not acknowledged. Now, when I say the word anointing, 85% of you probably shut that down and thought, well, I don't, I'm not going to be a worship leader or a pastor. So, no, anointing, listen to this. The word anointing means to choose by divine election. The word of God says that before you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew you, the Greek, I appointed you, I chose you. In other words, you're anointed. So, you need to understand wherever you're called in life, you're anointed in that area. But I think we chop up the word call and anointing to those people on stages. No, you better make sure the people that are on stages in your life that you listen to actually carry anointing. Because I'll tell you, I know that in my own life there might be a gift but it's only the anointing that actually changed people's lives. See, I cannot enough myself break chains of bondage off of people's life when I sing. I might have a gift to hit a note. It's the anointing that makes things possible for the yoke of bondage to be broken over people's lives in a service. So be very careful what gifts you elevate without anointing. That's why you can go to a concert where somebody's not saved, feel chills, you're, you're, you are feeling the gift, but they are not going to set you free, okay? It is a, if you see kids when they, when they see these superstars and they, it, it's, it's a perverted type of understanding the anointing, they are so caught up in the moment of a gift that they think that's real when really the anointing, if it came over them, they'd have the same response, but there's a perversion that's happened in our world where the enemy, because he was over music, knew what he did. That's free. I'm not going to talk about it anymore. So if you want to talk about it later, let me know. Because I even say that first service. That's just free. So here it is that you're anointed. Let's say you work in the hospital. You can be in a room a pastor can never get into. And you're anointing your gift, your calling in that room with parents that just found out something that it's not great can begin to shift the atmosphere in the room. You're a teacher, and you are pouring into kids, and you might be the only connection to God they ever get. You're anointed. You're a businessman, and there's things that come easier to you to understanding things. Why? Not because, well, I'm just smart. No, God's actually anointed you to do that. There was a guy that took over GMC a couple years ago, and what the company had tried to do for almost 12 years, he did in two. Why? He was anointed and called by God to be in that position. What I'm saying to you is don't discount that you have an anointing because people haven't acknowledged it. 
Because here's David, his family is so in their own mindset, he's not even welcome to eat dinner. How would you feel if you showed up and all your family's eating dinner and you were not invited? I'd be ticked off. Maybe you guys are more spiritual. But I'd be like, what is going on? Did I offend somebody? Somebody upset at me? Like that, that would be an issue for me. Now, you could be thinking this is not that big a deal. Well, that's because this day and age, eating at a table has lost what it used to be. Eating at a table, N.T. Wright said this, and I love this. He said, when Jesus was getting ready to explain to his disciples what was going to happen in his death, he didn't bring them a theory, he brought them a meal. Because what happens is, is something happens at a table. Plans are made at a table. Man, how do you, we, we know Jesse and them had sheep it said that he was watching the sheep so we understand okay well man do you think this hill has been good we bet they're discussing what should be happening with the family business and yet he's not there who's boxed you in to make you not there where have you felt I'm so labeled because instead of labeling people we should be loving them but but I'll get to that later where have we gotten to a place where people are not even welcome or we haven't been welcome to our own family's table there's a lot of us that grew up with parents that didn't believe in us or, or didn't, didn't pour into us or trust us with things or there was abuse. There was all these things. And, and let me take a side note for a second. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. God is not here to play games or to teach you a lesson. God says, I've come to bring you life and more abundantly. So if something in your life abuse, kill, destroy, anything, that did not come from God. I want to make that very clear. And if you heard differently, you have a wrong perception of who God is. Now, I know people want God to flip a switch when they need something, but understand we're under the rule of the world. So what God says, you seek me, you're going to find me. And if you trust me in the areas of the enemy and destroy you, I will turn it around for good. And I'm not just saying that as someone that's not walked through something. So I'm going to make that very clear. Because I think a lot of times God is getting blamed for things he did not do. The devil did it. So you need to be mad at somebody else. So now I want to take the story to another place. We're going to go to Psalms. And David wrote Psalms at the end of his life. What do you usually do at the end of your your life? You reflect, right? Man, what, what has gone on? What has happened? We know he went on to be king and all this different stuff, but we get to Psalms 23, and it's famous for, you know, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I fear no evil. There's rap songs. I'm going to save you. I was going to maybe do it, but I'm not going to. (laughs) Brian will probably never let me preach again. You know, so I'm not going to do it. And so I almost broke out. And, uh, And we get to Psalms 23. We know it. We've said it. But I want you to hear the story differently today, knowing what you just read in Samuel about his story to hear. Psalms 23, 5 through 6 says, You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. What does the word enemy mean? It means a thing that harms or weakens something else. To bind, to tie up, be restricted. So it's interesting to me that what God says is, Hey, listen, I'm going to prepare a feast for you, and he won't drop the fork. I'm not going to wash it. I'm going to prepare a feast for you in the presence of your enemies. 
How do you think David felt when he walked into the room that day and he saw that everyone was eating together and he wasn't a part of it? I think we read the Bible and because we know the end of stories, we don't take into account how the person felt in the moment. I think we see things one way and we don't realize that God is actually doing something, but they're struggling in the midst of what he's doing. I don't care if I'm, because you have to understand when David was anointed that day, it was still 20 years till he was king and you're upset that God hasn't answered your prayer and it's been two weeks. And I've been there, I'm talking to myself. And, and we get irritated because God doesn't do it when he should, how he should, when we think he should have done it. We all have these ideas, oh, this would be a great time. I did that when we were believing God for Jaylee for five years and she's three now. I'll never forget, oh man, this is the anniversary of this and this and this. This would be a perfect day to find out I was pregnant. I probably did that 35 times. 50. Okay, Brian said 50 because he knows how many pregnancy tests I've taken. <laughs> He's like, stop buying them till you know. And I was like, but sometimes I just want to pee on the stick and just, I just think there's these moments. And sorry if that's too much for you. That's just what we walk through. And you do, you have these moments and it would be, oh, it would be perfect. There was this one time I had a whole letter written for Brian. I had everything ready to present to him. I was sure I was pregnant. <laughs> nope, I wasn't. I can laugh about it now because I know that I was seeing a promise but I was in the process. And I think sometimes that's the difficult part. And so what I want to hone into today is the process of which God walked David through. Because when you start a story off with people that don't believe in you, hey, when you read even further in the story, not only was he not invited to dinner, a little while later, when he's going to, you know, we know he's going to fight Goliath, but he doesn't know at this time, his dad's like, hey, take some food to your brother. So not only do I eat, get to eat with you guys, now I bring them food. Almost reminding him, I can, I, I can feel like I could see him walking and thinking, that's great that Samuel anointed me. And the food's a reminder of dinners he's not invited to. Because the enemy always will use something to remind you of failures. And he's sitting there and he's going there. And he's thinking to himself, great, I was anointed, but that didn't change anything. My dad still had me out there with the sheep. I mean, it's literally like when you read the story, it's literally like it happened and then everybody just went about their merry way and forgot about it. <laughs> and it's so sad to me. Why? Because people won't always acknowledge your anointing. You could have a passion for something and everybody around you think it's the dumbest thing you've ever thought of. Well, you know what? If God told you to do it, do it. Everybody thought it was crazy to put a church in Centerton 15 years ago. Thought it was crazy. No one drives by here. Have y'all looked at what's happening in Centerton? God knows what he's doing. But you have to trust while you're in the process. You have to trust. So that scripture says, you prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. I believe David right now is talking about, he's reminiscing of the moment when he showed up and it was the moment he was to be anointed as king in the presence of what he calls enemies. How do I know that? The next thing, you honored me by anointing my head with oil. We know what happened right after he shows up and then all of a sudden he's anointed. My cup overflows with blessing. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. I love that he, lo that he uses the word surely because that word was used in Samuel 
when it was like, surely it's this son, surely this, it's this son. I feel like it's just a little jab that David's like, surely goodness and mercy, because no one else was following me. <laughs> no one else cared about me, but goodness and mercy are there. It's all you need, church. Your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. I want my team to come up here for a second because I want to demonstrate something for you. So what God says in this scripture is you prepare a feast for me. Now, I've seen this illustration before and I've seen people set up chairs and but I don't see that it actually says that they were sitting at the table and I know that because if you go back to Samuel, the part I told you to underline it says, we're not sitting till he gets here. It's significant because in this scripture, David goes, you prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. Can you tell me how comfortable you would be to eat in the presence of the enemy? Of people watching you. I hate people watching me while I'm working on something, so I can't even imagine this. But God wants you to have so much peace that your posture, okay, is able to sit here. So your peace is determined by your posture. What is your posture supposed to be? I can sit at the table that God prepared a feast for me in the presence of enemies. Now, maybe your enemies are not actually people. Maybe your enemy is anxiety. Maybe it's fear. May it's worry, maybe it's doubt, maybe it's unbelief. Can you sit in the presence of God and not be moved? I think it would be so difficult for us if we don't understand that we're in a process to the promise. Now, let me, let me explain this, and you guys stay here. I see the promise, but I don't know the process. The reason for that is I have to have God for the process. God doesn't want to eliminate himself. He doesn't want to show you a promise and then bring it without a process because it's by faith I please God. It's by faith I see something I've never seen before. So he's part of the process while I still see the promise. Now, you have to have the promise because it's that goal. It's that thing I know. So it could be what you feel called to do. It could be something you're believing for, wanting, desiring. But understand, you have to have God in the process. Now, part of the problem is there's a lot of people that grab God right in the middle of a process. Because they go through anger and disappointment and all this stuff. And then they go, okay, God, well, I'll give you this amount of time to make it happen. I'm in this process, and I'll, I'll give you this, and I've done that. God, okay, I, I'm going to quit being angry about not being pregnant. I'm going to quit doing this, so I'm just going to trust you. But, but I gave him a timeline. God doesn't work on time because, understand, he views this world and everything as like a 360 rotation. Like we see dimensionally a little bit back and, and a little bit forward. That's it. God sees everything. Like a Toy Story when he says, we toys see everything, so play nice. That's what God is saying to you. I see everything, so play nice. Trust me in what I'm doing. But you're going to need me in the process. You're going to need me in the midst of this because you cannot do this on your own. But the problem is, is God is saying, I'm going to prepare a feast for you, but your enemies are going to be there. One, why? 
Because when your posture is so full of peace, that begins to diminish the enemy's ability. Because when you can sit and eat in the presence of your enemies, what is David remembering? I was anointed and believed in by one person in that room. Samuel finally just started going, I mean, is there another one? And he knew by the Spirit of God, but his family didn't believe it. So I'm here to tell you, if your family doesn't think you can do it, that means nothing. I know it's hard. I get it. But at the same time, that does not Make it or break it for what God's called you to do. Because God's saying, here, and listen to this. He says, surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will live in the house of the Lord forever. What is he stating there? I wasn't welcome in my own house, but I am welcome in the house of the Lord forever. He has a seat at his table for me. He has a place for me. He knows what I need in the presence of all my enemies. Thank you. I think we have to remember how difficult sometimes the process can be. And sometimes we have an idea of what that process will be. I was getting ready to have Jaylee. It was my birthday. And, uh, so I started going to labor. I was like, man, babe, I'm having some major contractions. Side note, they weren't. <laughs> uh, but it's okay. So I was like, I mean, we're going to have to go. And I'm, I'm like super excited. We're driving to, the, to um, the hospital. And I'm calling all my sisters. And then I'm telling them what I want them to bring me to eat. Because I'm like, oh, I don't have to weigh anymore. So I'm just going to eat what I want today. Because, you know, I gained more than I should. It's okay. We're working on it. Just leave it alone. And I don't need your emails on what to do. And uh, so I'm working at it. And so I get there. And the nurse, she's amazing. She just tells me, she heard me on the phone like, can you go by Kennedy's and get me this and this? And she's like, hey, you're not allowed to eat. I'm like, it's my birthday. <laughs> and I'm totally going to eat if I want to. And she didn't get it either. Like, you guys cry if I want to. No, okay. Wow, tough crowd. Okay, so, wow, hopefully this is such a deep revelation. You don't know what to do with yourself right now. And uh, so I'm sitting there, and this is not going how I imagine. And a couple hours later, the real contractions kicked in. You ladies know what I'm talking about? You maybe, I mean, maybe you were aware. I didn't go to any classes. I didn't go to anything. So I was like, I think everything else I felt before then was like a scratch compared to what kicked in. And so I'm sitting there. I'm like, wow, this is something else. I <laughs> Like, wow. And I had read Supernatural Childbirth one time and was convinced that's what I was going to do. I did not go to classes. I did not read anything. I did not do any research. It was, this is what I'm getting. This is what I'm going to have. And then was very blunt with all my friends and let them know I am not getting an epidural. And you can, you can do whatever, but not me, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, pride, 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 okay? That's where I was at. So I'm sitting there. I'm vomiting because the pain is so intense. We have worship music on. It was not helping. I told Brian, the worship music's not doing anything. This is not helping me at all. And uh, I know I was super spiritual that moment. And um, now I didn't yell at him for making me pregnant. That drives me nuts in movies because, like, what guy is ever sneaky and like, ha-ha, I got you pregnant. You didn't know it. I mean, that's usually a woman, so I'm just being honest. So we'll move on. And um, Hollywood just lies. I just want to throw that out there, okay? So I'm sitting there, and I'm throwing up, and my, my doctor comes over me, and she's like, I'm not going to give you a medal. And I'm like, what? They give out medals? What are you talking about? Like, I'm, like, dead serious, you know, because I was just puking. She wants to be funny, you know, and she's like, you don't get a medal for not getting an epidural. And I said, I'm going to the bathroom. So I walk into the bathroom, and I say, God, I don't know what's going on, but this is, this is not working. 
and I need your help. And he's like, you need an epidural. And I'm like, he said, go get an epidural. You're in pride. I was like, oh, my God. So I swung open the door like Ace Ventura movie, like, ah! and I said, I'm getting an epidural. And, and Brian's like, you're getting an epidural? I mean, you told me all these horrible things about why people shouldn't get it. I was like, ignore it all. Pray it all away. It's totally fine. I'm prideful. I need an epidural. And uh, so half of the staff in there has no idea, like, what woman? Well, I'm prideful. I need an epidural. Like, they don't even understand what I'm saying. So we just grabbed hands. Brian goes, dear God, that's a big needle. I said, that is not helping. Pray over me right now. So he begins to pray over me, and oh my gosh, I mean, I smiled the rest of the time during my delivery. I mean, there's the baby. She's like, cough, and she popped out. That was awkward, but she's like, can you cough for me? And then it was like, <laughs> I was like, whoa, you know, it was just awesome, you know, the whole experience. And so I remember like six months later, I was driving in the car, and I'm like, hey, God, can we talk about that moment? Like, you know, because I, I feel like I'm a, like a faith person. You know, I stood and believed for this baby for five years. I mean, through a miscarriage and all kinds of situations. So I thought, I am a woman of faith and power, you know. So what happened? Like, why, why couldn't I tap into that? You know, I'm being real spiritual in the car with God. And he goes, because your heart was never about tapping into a promise that I had for you and that you could do it this way. Your heart was to prove to everybody you were strong enough and spiritual enough to give the baby naturally. He's like, that doesn't give glory to me. That's all for you. I was like, I gotcha. All right, we can end this conversation now. We're good. But my process went totally different than I had planned. The difficult thing when we're walking through situations is the process. But I think it's how we look at it. You know, right now, I'm not a pastor's wife that can't get pregnant for a second baby. I'm a pastor's wife that's holding on to a promise till it's fulfilled. I think you have to look at it differently. Man, I'm not a person that is filled with anxiety. I'm a person where anxiety is trying to overcome me. I think it's all in how you posture yourself to what's coming at you. I think it's all about how you have yourself at a place to know, wait a second. I don't want to accept something that I don't have to. Man, the Bible says you're going to face difficult situations. We live in a fallen world. I think everybody thinks that God's doing this stuff for us because this is some fun game. And it's not. God is so merciful. You know, in the story of Adam and Eve, you see the word that he banished them out of the garden. And if you look up that word banished, actually means sent out. Banished seems really harsh, but when you look at it, it says sent out. It's the same word that then translated in the Greek goes with, for God so loved the world that he gave. It's that same word, sent out, gave. The reason, I want you to follow me here, the reason that God sent them out was not only was there a tree of knowledge of good and evil, which we knew they took a bite of and understood evil for the first time that God didn't want them to feel. There was a tree of life, which that tree of life means it gives life. It means they would have never died. So they would have had to live in this garden to know evil forever. And God in his mercy said, no, I've got to send you out because I'm going to figure out a way to redeem all this back. But I need you to go out. That way I can redeem it all back 
and I'm going to send my son. See, a lot of times it's how we look at it. So, much, so many of us feel like God has put us to the side. So many of us feel like God has done something to us, and God is trying to get something to you. God is trying to show, no, I'm setting this whole thing up. I just need you to stick with me. See, I'm getting you to a place that you didn't know you could get to, but I need you to trust me. And there's these distractions and these enemies that come, but I need you to go back to a place of peace and a place of rest, and I need you to sit at the table that I prepared for you because you're welcome at my house. Now, I'm understand the enemy tries to come because you're in the presence of enemies and what David saw in that moment was his voice had to be the only voice that I could hear I had to know that I was welcomed in his house we never see his family ever acknowledge his anointing we never see it in the word so I'm here to tell you if you're waiting on someone to acknowledge your anointing you are waiting on the wrong thing because if God said it he's going to do it you have to know what he's placed inside of your heart. The enemy will use people, Christians. I'm going to make this very clear. Christians. The world doesn't have a problem with Jesus. They got a problem with us. I'm being honest. They have a problem with how we have portrayed Jesus, and we need to change that. But the problem is that as Christians, we have this mindset that somebody's got to acknowledge this in me or I can't do it. No. I was taken off the worship team to do children's ministry. I should not do children's ministry. Just being honest. I went to work at a large church, and they never wanted me to sing. All they wanted me to do was preach. And there was a girl there that sang, and she was phenomenal. She had won, like, the Today Show, Christy Starling. She's amazing. She's a friend of mine this year. Not this year, sorry. She's been a friend of mine. <laughs> this year we became friends. <laughs> so what I meant. She's been a friend of mine for years, and they have an incredible church in Oklahoma City that they've started and planted, and God's just doing amazing things. But I remember feeling like no one is acknowledging this, so maybe this is not what I'm supposed to do. No matter what you think, I know I'm called to lead worship. It is like, I sing in the bathroom. Like people, my team will go, hey, Alicia, because they know I'm in the bathroom because I'm humming or singing on the stall everywhere I go. It's fine. You could find me. We might be in the same store. You would know immediately because of what I'm doing. Even when I'm nervous, I hum or sing. My sisters point this out all the time. They're like, when stuff gets awkward, you start singing. I'm like, be quiet because I don't realize I do it. It's like a comforting thing for me. And we get to this place in our life, and we're looking for somebody to acknowledge it. And God's going, no, I already did, but you don't see it unless you sit at the table. You don't see it unless you sit where I'm at. You don't sit unless you see it from my perspective. And we have to have so much peace while we're at this table. Because we have to choose what presence positions us. What presence is going to position you? His presence, what he prepared, or what the enemy's saying? When anxiety says, what's fear, you'll never be able to do it. You could never amount to anything what your family has said. And you could never do this. Watch me. Watch me what, watch what I can do when God says I can do it. We have allowed ourselves to be boxed in for too long. And as we end this series, and if you haven't heard all of it, I would encourage you to do so. As we end this series on being boxed in, I'm going to encourage you, don't allow people to box you in. And God 
has prepared this table, this for you. To sit in peace and not even notice. You know how much concentration it takes to eat a meal while people are coming against you? I wonder what David felt in that moment when they're anointing him and everybody's just staring at him. That doesn't make you feel like, woo, you know? I mean, if I leave today and walk down the aisle and everybody's like, horrible, man, you stink. You don't know how to preach. I mean, that, it, I, you know, I'd have to fight a little something for that. You, you get what I'm saying? I would have to deal with something with that. But when I know who he calls me to be, and when I know I'm always welcomed by him, something changes. I'm going to end with this. In, in 1980, in the country of Armenia, there was a, a massive earthquake. And it killed 25,000 people. And um, made millions homeless. And there was a dad right before the earthquake happened. And he was dropping his son off at school. And kissed him goodbye, walked to the car, and immediately when he walked to the car, the earthquake hit, and the entire school just plummeted completely down. It was like all he could see was flat. And so he's, he ran over, and he just starts to dig. So about after six hours as he's digging, some people had come around, and they're like, hey, this is like, not worth to try to do. I mean, like, there's so much rock, there's so much rubble, and he just ignores them, keeps digging. Twelve hours later, there's a few more people, and they try to tell him the same thing. Hey, man, you gotta, you just, you need to let it go. Like, you know, 24 hours goes by. He's still digging. There's a huge crowd around by this time, and somebody pipes up in the crowd and says, man, I know why he's digging, because when, you know, he's gonna have to leave at some point and realize his son is dead, but he wants to know that he did all that he could, all that he could for his son. Hour 36, he picks up this rock and all of a sudden he hears a voice. And he starts calling all the people that have watched him like he was crazy for 36 hours. He said, I need your help, I need your help. They begin to lift boulders and rocks. And there he saw in the midst of everything, it was almost like a cavern was there and 13 students and two teachers were standing there. And there's his son. And his son looks up to him, smiles, and he looks at his friends, and he said, I told you my dad would get me out of here. I told you my dad would dig us out of here. So what I'm telling you today, I don't care how boxed in you feel, how alone you feel, be like that little boy and know that God is coming to get you out. God is coming to redeem everything you thought you might have lost. God is coming because he's a miracle working God and he wants what's best for you. He says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. If that's what an earthly father can do, to stand there for 36 hours without eating, without sleeping, to dig his son out. My God, what do you think God's willing to do for you, church? He has not left you. He is still the same God with the miracle power, wanting to see you change, wanting to see you set free, breaking every yoke of bondage. Oh, he's standing there and he's still digging. And he's looking. Do you have the faith that he's coming? I think for myself as kids, that was a lot for that little boy to trust for 36 hours because if you've ever been on a trip with kids, when are we there yet? They ask every five minutes like it's been five hours. 
But there was something that he knew about his dad. And this is where we're off, church. We have forgotten who God truly is because we have believed the lie from Satan that if he loved you, this bad thing wouldn't happen to you. No, the bad thing happened because the devil is bad. But God is saying, I'll give you a wave and escape. I will turn what the enemy meant to absolutely destroy your marriage, to destroy your life, to destroy your kids. I'm gonna turn it around and I'm gonna get all the glory. But I need you to trust that I'm right there digging you out. Hold on, church, no matter how long it takes. We're in a process, but we know the promise. Come on, if you can stand to your feet this morning. And I don't know where you're at in your story. Everybody's story is different in this place. But your story matters to God. Your story is the most important thing to Him. You've labeled other people and you've labeled yourself. God is not in the business of controlling you. I want to make that very clear. He's in the business of allowing you to lean on him, to trust him. That's why he says, hey, lead not to your own understanding, but in your ways acknowledge me. What does that mean? God, I know you're here. God, I know you're digging me out. God, I know you have something better for me. That's what he's doing. Acknowledge what you know he's doing in faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So you're going to have to use faith. You're going to have to hope when it seems hopeless. You're going to have to believe when you don't see it. You're going to have to trust when you don't understand. That's a part of faith. But it's in those moments that you see things that other people don't see. It's in those moments God does something that that people stand around and go, wow, and they see who God is. But we don't allow God to move in our lives because we've forgotten who he was. He is a father first. And no matter how cruddy maybe your father was, God's saying, give me a shot. Give me a turn. Can I show you what a father is? Can I have a turn to show you what a true father should be? Man, you've given everybody else in the world shots. Friends, everybody, give me a turn to show you who I am and how great I can be. Man, with every head bowed and every eye closed in this place, God, you know where we're at this morning. You know our story. God, help us not to let go in moments. God, help us to see that you have a table set up for us. And yes, it's in the presence of doubt. Yes, it's in the presence of unbelief. Yes, it's in the presence of things we've been told since we were young. But God, you have us at this table to sit in peace and know you've said it. So that's all that matters. So God, remind us of that this morning, that we're not out trying to please anybody else. God, we want to live a life that's pleasing to you. God, I thank God that David didn't try to please his parents and do what they wanted him to do because they didn't believe in him. All they saw him was as a shepherd boy. But God, you took a shepherd's heart and you made him king. God, you can take anything and mold it into something beautiful. You can take dirt oh, and make it a person. God, you are incredible. So God, let us be reminded of who you are and trust you're picking up every rock, every boulder, everything that has hindered us and what you've called us to do, and you're picking it up. And soon we're going to see the light. Soon we're going to see you, and we're going to say, I knew you were coming. God, I knew you were there all along, and I'm sorry there was moments I doubted you. Man, if you're in this place this morning, and you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life, maybe it's for the first time. Maybe Jesus has never completely been Lord of your life. Maybe you've been saved. You got saved when you were younger, but you have not lived out this, God, you are everything to me. God is not an add-on. 
He's not a gadget that we play with till we're bored. He's to be the Lord of our life, not to control, but to make us whole. That's who he is. So if you're in this place this morning and you know, and I just want to say that prayer. I just, I want to solidify this thing. I want to make this thing right. I want to finish out, you know, the rest of 2019 knowing who God is and trusting him and seeing him differently because I've questioned him and now I get it. If you'll just raise your hand so I can see you, so I can acknowledge you. Thank you for that hand. Anybody else? I feel like there's some more people in this place this morning. Come on, let's be honest. Thank you for that hand. Thank you for that hand. Thank you for that hand. Come on, he's a good God. Thank you for that hand. Come on. See, there's more people in here, but sometimes we're so afraid. Come on, you raise that hand up like you know it, like I want God in my life. I want who he is. And I want you to say this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I ask you, man, come fill my life. Come and be Lord of my life. Forgive me of all my sins. Today I walk away new. Today I'm a new person. Today I stand knowing you are Lord in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. For all of you that raised your hand, please give them a clap. Come on, that's awesome.